0: to be healed in this place today and those who are watching us we thank you father that those who hear your word will do your word and will receive the blessing of your word and we thank you for that lord in jesus name amen praise god amen 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 well you know that we are (coughs) all appointed to die amen the bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die just one time If the devil had known that, he wouldn't have messed with Jesus, amen, because he would have found out that he had power to raise himself back up again, and he couldn't tempt him with death anymore, amen. It's a one-time shot for the devil to to, uh, put death on people. But we are appointed to die, but then there is a, a, a mission that we have on the earth where the length of our days is determined by God. And it is guaranteed by God. And so we know that the tempter comes to put illness on us through deception, (laughs) deceiving us into believing that he has a right to put illness on us or that somehow we have earned sickness by our lifestyle. How many of you know your lifestyle was nailed to the tree just like every other sin you committed was nailed to the tree? Amen. So let's not get off into lifestyle choices and how that contributes and uh, family history and how that contributes. Nothing contributes to anything when you're blood bought. Yes. Well, some people believe it. I wish everybody did. Nothing contributes to anything when you are blood bought. Your sins are forgiven. And if you understand how to live righteously before God, you stay out of the condemnation of the devil that invites and gives permission for the curse to come upon your life. The Bible says we're redeemed from the curse of the broken law. Now that was a standard way back then, but since Jesus has come, we all know the Lord because we all claim him as our Savior. But let me give you some more news. Because he has come, he has redeemed us and taken the authority of sickness, just like he's taken the authority of hell away from your life. The devil can't take you to hell. He can't take you to hospital either. You got me? He can't take you nowhere. And so we have to understand our rights and privileges as children of God and we have to stand on those things. See, I can only preach you the word. I'm not qualified. I was a nurse many years ago. The patient in room 620, I did not leave him on the bedpan. Okay, so quit calling me about it. That life was over a long time ago. I cannot tell you anything about how to get well other than by the word of God. I'm not qualified to help you any other way than that. And so that is why I don't encourage people to try and add things to the word of God. This is all that the minister is qualified to help you with is the word of God. And that's what I stick with, the word of God. Now, I'm not saying you can't have things to help you to feel better if you want to feel better. If I come in here and and I decide I feel like having a pill for an ache in my leg, I'll take a pill. But I'm not depending on the pill to heal me. I'm not stupid. I know that's not going to heal me. It's just a temporary making me feel better until my word can really kick in and I can get what I need from God. Do you understand me? So let's be clear about that because people come here and get this impression that we're anti-something. I'm not anti-anything, but I am pro-God. I'm pro-the-word. I'm pro-getting you healed so that you can receive what you need from God. So in 2 Kings Chapter 7, we're going to start there. and I'm going to show you something about how to make a decision to live and not die. To fulfill the length of your days in health and in peace and in serving God. And and get under the protection of God's word. And get under the protection of God's will for your life so that you will be able to. To live and not die and die another day. You don't have to die today. You don't have to die when the the doctors tell you you're going to die. You can die when you feel like it. When you're good and satisfied. Psalm 91 tells us with long life he will satisfy us and show us his salvation. You're to live a satisfied long life. That's God's plan for you. His plan is not for you to go out uh on a respirator or, you know, they had to call uh, 15 relatives and make the decision. Right. You know, that stuff has gotten to be kind of so popular now. It's kind of weird. Yes. You know. <laughs> so I told the Lord, I said, you know, I don't want nobody having to be called and made no decision by me and you decide what's going to happen right. to me. Like huh? Yeah. Me and God decide. Yeah. Huh? And he has a way of letting everybody know. What to do, huh? You know, they might not be able to find your immediate relatives. I don't know how long I might live. They might find somebody with my same last name, don't know nothing about me, and call in me and trying to talk to them about it. Yeah, I mean, they, people show up and do almost anything in the name of helping somebody, and you give them a little power, a little authority. Well, leave her on. Now, I heard a conversation where she said one time. That's what they make their decisions on. End of life. And I'ma tell you something, with this healthcare system changing the way it is, you might have your congressman deciding when you go. That's a whole nother story though. But you better, all I'm saying is you need to make plans with God, you need to keep those plans, you need to keep your appointments with God, and you need to check in with Him. Because you don't have to die today or any other day man says you suppose you can die another day. You don't have to die today. Die when you want to. And let no man tell you anything different. So here in Second Kings chapter 7, I like these guys. They were lepers. Lepers are given uh, almost a death sentence immediately when their leprosy is diagnosed. If some miracle doesn't happen and you can go to the priest and see those spots removed, uh, they continue to deteriorate the cartilage in your body. They would have ears to fall off and ends of noses, fingers, and all that kind of thing. It was a great uh, deformity and it was highly contagious. So lepers were uh, considered to be unclean and they were set apart from from people and they lived in colonies and, you know, were the kind of scourge of the society and they were uh, people to be shunned. But here it says in verse three, it says, and there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate. This is in Syria. Now, Elisha had prophesied. That the famine was going to end there and that the next day there would be food and, and uh, wealth in the gates of Samaria. And there was a, a gentleman who worked for the king that had some doubts about that and voiced his doubts. So you can see that there are many times where the word of the prophet is not heeded and people don't believe it. You can choose to believe what you want to believe. But these leprous men were hearing some buzz about the same thing, you know, even though they were they were uh, living secluded from everybody else. It said there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? Why do we accept death and sit and wait for it to come to us? And I think that's what many people do even though they're taking treatments, they're going to the doctor, they're getting uh, all kinds, taking pills, all kinds of remedies. They are really sitting until they die because they're doing nothing to change that death sentence over their life. Now you can be faithful taking whatever you want to take, but if that illness turns out to be something that will never, you'll never recover from, Eventually, it will take you out of here. And if you have not done anything differently than what these, than what you've been doing, you've been taking the normal treatment, hoping it's gonna help, hoping you'll feel a little better, hoping it's gonna get you somewhere. If you have done nothing more than that, you're really sitting there until death comes for you. Because you're gonna have to do something, you're gonna have to make some kind of change in some way. That's going to get you off of the the road to certain death, or you're going to have to get on the road to health, healing, and a miracle. And everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. All it takes is you have to make a decision like they did. All they did, they questioned their fate. When your fate is being determined by illness or negative events in your life, you need only to question your fate they said why would we sit here until we die why sit here until illness creeps up on me and i know people aren't just sitting waiting i'm talking when i say sitting that means that you've taken a position that says that you're not going to do anything to change that many times people don't know the power that they have to change But really, all you have to do is do what they did. They made a decision not to accept what fate had given them. They made a decision not to accept it. And that's that's all anybody has to do in order to change their, their future from one of certain death and illness to one that will cause them to rise up and be healed and go about life and do what life really wants them to do. And God wants us all to live. He never planned for man to die. That was a penalty that we incurred because of disobedience. And it's been inherited by every generation since then. But we die from this earth, but we are given eternal life where we can live forever with the Lord. And so God wants us not only To live uh, on this earth, but he wants us to live in perfect health while we are here. He has given us the ability to live that way. And so these men merely question, why would we sit here until we die? Why? When you ask a question and you challenge what it is that's going in your life, that is the first step to receiving your miracle. It's the first step is to question why do I accept this question can I can this be reversed in some way just refuse to accept what's been told you based on natural circumstances and situations and just questioning it questioning your fate, if it's a negative fate, say it's. they found a lump somewhere. They said that, you know, now you got lymph nodes swollen and all this kind of stuff. All you have to do is question whether or not that's the final answer in your life. Just question it. When you question it, what you do is you begin to mount a protest against destruction in your life. And God has every right and every permission that he will ever need to come in and tell you why you don't have to die. See, it's up to him to supply the answer. It's not up to you to supply the answer. Do you hear me? See, this is what makes people, you know, we always think we got to know everything. Well, if I don't get this treatment, then what do I get? That's not, that's the wrong way to approach anything where you've been handed a death sentence. All you have to do is question, is this the final judgment for me? Is this all there is? Just put that question out there. And if you will challenge the forces that are working in your life to destroy your life, then God is obligated to come and provide the answer. He's obligated to come and provide the means. He begins to mobilize help for you to get out of that situation and get over into health and healing and get on the road to healing. All you have to do is refuse to accept it, like we say. Just refuse, we used to have this uh, thing, I I made out some little cards, return to sender. When sickness knocks on your door, you don't accept that envelope. You just return it to where it came from. You refuse to accept it. And you refuse to accept anything associated with it until until you hear from God. God may tell you, well, if you're suffering, go get some pills for your pain. Go get something to alleviate your suffering. But while you're receiving that, don't accept that as your final step. Many times people start to, the symptoms start to subside a little bit. And they just go on about their merry way. They forget they had any kind of trouble. And then it will creep back up on them again. With God, he wants to get to the root of things, eliminate the cause of them, get down deep with his word so that he can free you up from that totally forever. He doesn't want you to have to suffer with it anymore. God's standard is that that affliction will not arise upon you a second time. You see what I'm saying? So you have to give him you have to give him full power to work in the way he wants to work in you and work deep in you and don't quit until you get your clean bill of health, till you get your final uh release from that. And you know and within you when you're healed. You know when sickness is not a part of your life anymore. The woman with the issue of blood did it. You know it because it's a spiritual occurrence, it's a spiritual happening. And you'll know in your spirit when you're 100% whole and well. And so the first thing that these lepers did was they questioned their negative fate. They questioned, do we really have to sit here? And they made up their minds that they weren't going to sit still and just die. That they were going to get up and they were going to go and they were going to do something else. And you know the story. That they went into the city and they found that it was totally deserted. Nobody was there. They left all this food. They left all their valuables. They left everything there. So these men were able to enjoy uh, health, wealth, all the things that they needed in this city at least for a season. Until they decided that it was wrong to keep it all for themselves and they needed to go and tell everybody else because the famine was over. So lepers announced the end of a famine in a city where the people who worked for the king didn't want to believe it was ever going to be over again. Sometimes you are the person that God will use to change things and cause a shifting in the the fate of other people if you will let him do that. And that's one reason to keep living, is so that God can use you to do what he wants to do. Suppose these men had been stayed afraid and didn't want to go inside and stayed in their little corner that they were assigned to and never questioned why they were assigned to that little corner, just stay there all the time. Suppose that had happened. That stuff would have stayed there almost indefinitely. You don't know who would have had the curiosity to go into that city and announce the end of the famine and save a whole nation. And so sometimes the fact that you refuse to die and you decide you're going to die another day, some way way off in the future, that will cause a change in somebody's life somewhere that you were assigned to help at some time because God wants to keep you alive to work for him. That's one of the reasons that you want to live and not die. And you want to put death off as long as you can because you can work for God because God has something He wants His people to do for Him. Amen? So hooking up with God is one way to make sure that you don't, that you live and not die. In Acts chapter 9, if you'll go there. We see an interesting story about the Apostle Paul. The lepers were given a death sentence because they had uh, contracted a disease. We don't know how long they lived after that, but I can say this. When they did die, they died fed. They died with wealth and they died happy. If they never got their healing of that leprosy, their life improved because of that encounter, because of that decision not to just bow down and die. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, straight away, talking about the Apostle Paul, straight away he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came here for that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? So here, the enemy's bringing up Paul's past as a reason to attack him and a reason to assault him. But Paul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus proving that this is truly Christ. And after many days were fulfilled the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their lying in a wait was known of Paul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. So Paul decided he was going to die another day. Huh? He said, no, uh uh-uh, not today. I don't think so. Now, how did this happen for Paul? How did this happen for this man of God? This was really right after his conversion. Paul had a reputation of, the Bible says that he was consenting to Stephen's death. So when they martyred Stephen, Paul was the guy who held everybody's cloak while they stoned him. Huh? Huh? Now, if you're, you're the guy who's running around finding people to kill, and you're holding coats, you must have killed enough people already yourself. You ain't excited about the kill no more. You just a hold people's coats and let them have a thrill this time. Well, sounds sick. It is, but that's what they did. Huh? That's why God did away with that law. Because it was never done fairly. See, it always went to extremes. Always. It was legal under Jewish law to stone certain people to death. Huh? If you were caught in the act of adultery, you both were stoned to death. Hmm? Of course, you can't stone two people if you only bring one. Did you get that on the live stream? I said, you can't stone two people. How do you stop adultery if you only stone one?
1: It's
0: a thought. See, God's God's intent was to stop sin. That's why he made it made it that definitive. He said, I hate that stuff. I don't like it. He said, you catch two people at it, you kill them both. That'll that'll start, you know, that'll put a a little charge in there to get it out of the way. But if you just bring the woman, the man lives to do something else another day, which I won't repeat it in church, all right? (laughs) Just a thought. So that's why the law was done away with. It was weak because it was ministered through weak human flesh. That has its partialities. We human flesh that says, well, because this man is probably a prominent man around here, we'll let him go free.
1: Because yeah. then when
0: we do this, we don't want to get told on. Huh? Right. But Paul. Thought I forgot what I was talking about. Ha! Paul, who had consented to Stephen's death. Held the coats of the men that stoned him to death. Now he's a convert and he has to preach Christ. Hmm? It's like some of the people who have been delivered from drugs and God shows them their little drug buddies again. You know, that's the confrontation everybody hates is running into those people after you're saved. But Paul had to do it. He was called to the Gentiles. God had a grace for him. To be able to stand in that place of ministry and survive. It was not Paul's time because God had uh, Jesus had told him when he called him. I have many things for you to do. I am going to send you here, going to send you there. And he ain't been nowhere. And when they decided they wanted to kill him, Paul said, no, I don't think so. I'm going to die another day. I'm not dying today. This is not my day to die. Because God has told me that I'm going to live to preach and I have many places to go to. And death, you can't have me. I'm going to have to put you off until some other time. Got me? And so Paul, it says here, one of the keys to, to how Paul was able to do this is that he went ahead and obeyed God anyway. He knew that it was provoking people. It was vexing people. And if he would just shut up and quit preaching, they wouldn't be as angry and they might just let him go about his merry way and not bother him at all. Now that's typical of the church's history. Our church's history has been that when persecution comes, we go and hide somewhere and we start performing rituals thinking we're fooling God into believing we're still serving him and still serious about him. But the ritual has no power in it, and the power is what makes people mad. See, the power is always what makes the devil mad. Because he can't stop the power. He can't manipulate it, he can't control it, and he can't have it to use it himself. And it confounds him. So he'd rather try and kill the vessel that's releasing the power through their boldness to go ahead and preach the gospel anyway. And so Paul did something that the early church learned how to do when they were persecuted. They got bolder. They preached more. They preached with more confidence. They asked God for more power because they believed that they were called to live and not die. They weren't going to die today. They had more things to do in God. And they knew that the only way out of the trouble, if the anointing gets you in trouble, you need more anointing to get you out of that same trouble. You don't need less. So what the church does when they get persecuted and scared is they back away from the anointing. You know what I mean. Seeker friendly meetings. You got sick, uh, uh, unsaved people coming in there and instead of preaching the straight up gospel like it got, like you got saved by. See if somebody hadn't had compassion on you and told you the hard down truth. You'd still be yet in your sins. But we water it down because we still want to have the biggest church in the city. We still want to have the best TV program. We still want to have... Sometimes the the assemblies get so large, people never get ministered to. That's right. You know, God knows each and every one of us. He has counted the hairs on my head, both sets of hair. (laughs) He knows how many fell out today. How many I burnt with the curling iron. And has made plans to replace that burnt plug for me. You understand what I'm saying? He knows everything about all of us. He wants to know us personally. He wants to touch us personally. He's always done that through his servants. He's always done it through his servants. He's always done it through his ministers. And in this, this age, he, he does it through believers as well. But where will we get the people who will teach the believers, who will be one-on-one with the believers to impart to them so that they can go out and reach all of humanity? See those are few and far between, so the church now is entered into this friendliness with you know we don't want to we don't want to chase them away. Well, I like my devils on the run. You understand what I mean? If they got devils, they need to be running from us, huh? You let God give the increase you don't. Lord, you are not so smart that you know how to get a bunch of unsaved people in there and just soft soak them into the gospel. The gospel's to be preached in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. So the power never gets a chance to be demonstrated. See, if we're watering it down and we can't say certain things, well, you know, we're on television and we can't be rough on homosexuals. And we can't, you know, tell them that they're going to go to hell because, you know, some of them might get saved. Well, they won't get saved with your what you're doing there. It's hard for God to follow your little brain and try to anoint some words that you've got. You're so scared about turning somebody off. Listen, the sinner's already turned off, folks. They are not our friends. The Bible says, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? We have no fellowship with darkness, and they have none with light. So the only thing that we can do is obey God and preach the good news to them that they don't have to die in their sins. They can be born again. How, what happened with that message? And so Paul does something interesting here. He preached. They were threatening. Verse 21. They're threatening to bring him to the chief priest. Verse 22 is when a decision is made to not die today. It says, but Paul increased the more in strength and confounded them even more. So when he saw they were confused and upset, instead of backing down, he increased. Anybody that wants to go out swinging like that, God says, hmm, I think I'll let him live some more and he can die another day. Then God's with you in it, amen? Because God sees that you're going to obey him and not fear unto your own death. See, when you put your life over in God's hands 100%, you'll live until you're satisfied. You'll live forever. But if you back down and you disobey God and water something down because you're afraid of people's faces and you're afraid of their looks and you're afraid of being rejected and you're afraid of what they might say to you and they don't want to come to church and they don't want to do this and all this kind of, you get scared of that kind of stuff, you're on your own as far as your divine protection is concerned. You understand me? The Bible says if salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? Just be trampled underfoot. It's not not good for anything. And so you're on your own. you got to go and do something to try to protect your own life. But if you hook up with God and they start pressing you and you get bolder. They start telling you you can't and you make it known that you can they start telling you that that's not what you're supposed to say because you turn people off. Just keep saying it. Turn them off. It's not your, your job to turn them off or on. That's God's job. All we got to do is preach and believe Him, and He will confirm our words with signs following. What happened to the confirmed word? What happened to the healings? What happened? They cease to occur because people got the in, in the idea that we're not going to stand up and we're not going to make people mad. We're not going to stand up under this persecution. That's why some of the largest churches you see never have an altar call. Or if they do have one, you don't want to get involved in it. You don't want to go up to an altar and 2,000 people rushing up there at one time, all of them with different ailments and complaints. And the minister's nervous. Yeah, I said it. The reason they don't call nobody up there is because they don't want to. They don't want to touch the stinky sheep. They want the armor bearing the entourage around them and that's it. They don't want you all up there in their face. That's why when you call, you can never talk to anybody personally. Got somebody's name on everything there, but that's all it is—the name. That's not a real person, or barely, because they never touch anybody. They never, you know, uh, um, make contact with people in a real way, so that you can know their their issues and their struggles, and 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 you know, you know that you can trust them and and they help you. Amen. You know, you you know weekly. People coming into the church should be able to see some progress in their lives. They should be able to see where God's, you know, I came in last week and I had this and, and, and the minister preached on this and we had an altar call. And, and I believe that I can go out this week and I don't have to be worried with that kind of stuff. I, can, I know what to tell my boss when they try to harass me about different things. I know that I can fight this fight of faith because I have the tools to do it. Well, how'd you get the tools? My pastor gave them to me. Because we pray at my church and we were able and then when I had a problem I talked to them and they prayed with me, explain to me what the word says and how to get my answer and get instruction. You understand what I'm saying? That's what God ordained when he had that that the church uh birth back in the book of Acts. He ordained for that one on one. He ordained for that touch. That's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. It was not just the twelve. There were more people wanting to get involved in the gospel. He had the 70 that he ministered to. You know, we just see a little small picture of everything. But people were able to touch him. He went on a a little walk and ran into a woman at a well and was able to get her saved. He did a personal ministry one-on-one with almost everybody because he loved people. When you love people, you spend time with them, you invest in them, and you can look for God to give increase and bring results in their lives. You don't play these games. And so Paul did something that you see few ministers do anymore. First thing they do when they get in trouble is get a lawyer. And most of them better, because they don't need one. Trying to raise Johnny Cochran from the dead. You understand? I mean, they need that kind of lawyer. (laughs) Serious. Instead of continuing praying and ministering the gospel and getting bolder with what you do, they go hide somewhere and get the world's remedy. Go spend the the saints' offerings to get the most high-priced lawyer they can find. Listen, I don't care if you go under the jail. You don't ever pay a man for something God can do for you. Doesn't the Bible say Jesus is your advocate? You don't ever rely on man's counsel and man's wisdom. Because lawyers have already made up their mind how this is going to go down. You give me my retainer up front and I'm going to see just how much money your church has got. And then we'll talk to the people who accused you and see how much damage control we can do to your church and your ministry. And you keep bringing them books in there because it's going to take money to pay them off. So instead of confronting accusers, we pay them off. Well, we want to avoid a trial. I know so well you do. Huh? I would avoid one too if I was in your shoes. But see, the difference between me and you is I know I have an advocate with the Father. I got a lawyer in heaven who never charged me a dime for nothing. I got a lawyer in heaven. And if he sees fit to put me in jail, because trust me, I done done something wrong. See, you don't pay anybody off if you haven't done anything wrong. But I have a lawyer in heaven who never charges me anything for anything. And I think instead of worrying about this, I'm going to go get a bigger audience. I'm going to go get a bigger crowd. I'm going to go pray and ask God to give me more power. I'm going to start working in the healing anointing like I'm supposed to. I can make this a turnaround for my life so that I can partner with God even more and live even longer. You don't have to die in obscurity if you make a mistake in God. You can get God to go to bat for you. But you can't go around trying to hide your faults, cover your tracks, pay people off. If you've done wrong, you confess it to God and you repent and you ask God to help you to get yourself straightened out and get on the right track. But you don't take what God has given you and give it to the dogs. You don't take what's holy and give it to dogs. You don't do that. You go to God and you get your remedy and you get your answer. So what Paul did was he increased the more in strength, spiritual strength. He didn't decrease, he increased. And he kept preaching and he kept doing what God told him to do. Even though most of the Christians at that time thought he was their enemy because God saw him being obedient. God said, I think I'll raise up some people and tell them that this man is their friend. So that they can help him to die another day. Not today, Paul. You die another day. You're not going to die today. So number two is that you got to do something Consistent with what God's called you to do. And continue to do it in spite of what your body's telling you, what your mind's telling you, what your symptoms are telling you. People have been healed that way. There was, uh, Dottie Rambo was a person that was on and off with back problems. And many, many ministers were helping her to get her miracle in her back by faith. But she said that in the meantime... God told her, he said, just stay under the anointing. Just keep doing what I called you to do. And even though she didn't get 100% healed, she got better. And from the time Dottie was diagnosed with those terrible back problems, she lived at least another 15 or 20 years. She ministered some more, wrote more songs, did a lot of good for God. Why? Because she decided that if she would obey God and do what he told her in spite of the threat of physical pain, in spite of the threats of people wanting to shut you down, in spite of threats here and there, you go ahead and do what God told you to do. You can put off death. You can put off destruction. You can put off getting fired. You can put off whatever it is you need to put off so that God can be glorified in your life. Whatever the devil is threatening to take away from you. You don't have to. You just keep doing what God told you and tell Him this, God, can you send me more power? Can I do it bolder? Can you send me more people who need to be healed? More people who need to be saved? Because they're threatening me and they're trying to persecute me and tell me that this is not the right thing to do. Can you send them more? That's how you increase in strength. You let God know you trust Him above all things and death will have to wait. He can't claim you today. He's going to have to wait because God's power is increasing in you. And at some point, that power is going to annihilate everything that's standing against you. You got me? It's going to tear it all down. So Paul was able to live many years. He had many brushes with the with the religious law back in the day. But he always was able to get a way of escape and went on to preach the gospel and survive and and live many, many more decades, actually, to preach the gospel and to write the Bible. If they had killed him then, we wouldn't have a third of, of the New Testament there. So there was much work for Paul to do. Whenever there's much work to you, for you to do for God, get about doing it. Just get to getting and go do it. Don't worry about what the doctors told you and you don't feel good and you, not go, you don't know if you can do the whole thing. Just get to getting and do as much as you can. And God will increase you in strength. You will be able to overcome that and to get to the place where it won't bother you the way it, it does some people. So, you know, don't bow to it. That's the first thing. Do not bow. In Second Kings 20, we see our last example, and that's Hezekiah. And this is a man... I don't know uh, what Hezekiah's probably, well, I do know, there were some things that he did that just were not wise. He got a little showy in front of the enemy and he uh, left the, the nation of Israel kind of open to easy access to the enemy. Now, when you're a leader, you have to be wise and you have to be strong. You have to stick with what God gives you. Even though, you know, people may be telling you you're wrong. And you should, if you know God told you to do it, do it. If you know he gave you that truth, stick with it. And you have to stand and, and not, not waver. So Hezekiah had done some foolish things. But he had done a lot of, of wise things in his life. He'd done a lot of good things in his life. And so in 2 Kings 20... Verse 1, it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now, the prophet didn't make this up because he didn't like Hezekiah. You know, he gave him a thus saith the Lord. And it was God. He told him. Set your house in order. In other words, whatever you need to do, get it done. Doctors have taken this upon themselves to tell people this. Huh? they always borrowing power from God in the wrong way. You got me? Never borrowing it in the right way. But he says, set your house in order. That means go tell, you know, whoever what you're leaving to them. Go tell somebody else what you're leaving to them. It's time now. Know how everybody thinks one day they'll make out a will. Well, this is one day. Huh? This is the day you got to do it. Because it's due now. And so he says, <clears throat> Then he turned his face to the wall, Hezekiah did, and prayed to the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember, 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 remember me Lord, remember what I used to do for you, remember what, personal revival will buy you time with God. Huh? Personal revival, just revive within yourself what you used to do for God and you know you don't do it anymore. Hezekiah had grown in power, he'd grown in strength, and now he was boasting to the other kings, the heathen kings around there, how much riches and wealth he had. And the heathen kings were plotting to come and steal it by taking, getting an advantage, finding out his business to weaken the nation of Israel so they could go in and attack them, take all the people captive, steal all the stuff. So he had, he had gotten in the flesh with what God had done with him and what God had done for him. Now this is more common than we think. When you, when you check in after you do a meeting or after you, God does something wonderful through your preaching or through whatever you do, you need to stop and take that glory off and give it back to God. You understand what I'm saying? Just lay the mantle down. And give before God and thank him for using such a person as you and and allowing you to to see fulfilled your desires to help people and make them well and all that. And let God have that back. Don't go out wearing the glory. And that's what Hezekiah did. He wore the glory of God around. God had given him all that. That wasn't his stuff. And when he croaks, it'll go to the next guy. It ain't never nobody's stuff because you can't take it with you. And certainly he didn't buy any of it. He didn't earn any of it. It was given to him by God because it was necessary for him in his role as the king. And so whenever God has you in a role, you need to learn how to function in that role and not step out of it. And so Hezekiah had stepped out of that role. But know this, while he was serving God, and this is important, what you know about God when you're serving him will take you through when you cease serving him the way you used to. You got me? You might have to dig deep and dig dig low to find that little nugget of where you can touch God's heart and move him in mercy in your situation. But if you've done anything good for God, you need to go back and visit those places and understand that those places are the little honeymoon places where you met with God years ago. Where when there was only you and God and that's all you cared about before you blew up and got all on the Facebook and all, you know, got 11,000 friends and you, you understand what I'm saying? For you did all that, there was something you knew about God that only you and God knew and that was God's delight and that was your delight and that was where you connected with God in a strong way. And Hezekiah, on his deathbed, was moved in his mind to start recollecting those things. And that's what turned it around for him. And he says, how I've walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out of the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him again, saying, turn again. And tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, the captain of my people, the captain of my people. In other words, God remembered that there were people depending on this man for leadership. He remembered that this man was an able servant of his. He remembered this man had done much good in the nation of Israel. And so when God says, the captain of my people, what that means is that Hezekiah has touched his heart in such a way God said, yeah, I remember the good you did. And if you're willing to work with me some more, I'm going to let you do some more good. You can die another day, Hezekiah. You don't have to die today. And so, amen. And so before Isaiah was gone out of the middle court, you know you don't have to fast for 40 days to get healed. You don't have to have a long prayer and quote all the scriptures you know about healing in order to to change God's mind about the faith that somebody has given you in the natural. You understand what I'm saying? All you have to do is make a decision to touch God's heart in a way that you know you used to touch God's heart and you revive your understanding of who God is. Hezekiah just got a little stupid there for a minute. He forgot that he wasn't God and that God was God. And so God is letting him put him in remembrance and plead his case before God and let God know if you will use me again, then I would like to live, God, and I would like to work for you some more. In another account of this story, the Bible says that the God told uh, Hezekiah, he said, I have heard your prayers and I have seen your tears and I will heal you. Now, faith people tell you, you know, tears and all that emo Oh, God, you don't have to get emotional with God. Are you kidding me? The doctor said I'm out of here today. I mean, God says I'm out of here today. You got me? And I don't have to cry? Are you kidding me? How bad do you want to stay here? You want to stand on what the faith people tell you or you want to touch God? I think I'd rather touch God any day. Than to try and pass a, you know, so the faith people won't bug me about my bad confession. Huh? You know, people say stuff like, well, you don't have to beg God for the, are you kidding me? I used to beg my husband for stuff. I know I got to beg, you know, if I feel like I need to beg God, it's okay. The Honor, you give a mere man, you don't give it to God? Are you kidding me? I'll do whatever I need to do to convince God to let me stay here.
1: Amen.
0: The legalists always want you to die today. The Pharisees always send you out in a pine box. Today. Always pronouncing death sentences on people. Never have anything that speaks of life. So he tells the prophet, he said, turn around and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord God of David your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto your days fifteen years, and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I'll defend this city for my own sake, for my, and so forth and so on. So, no doubt, Hezekiah had deviated from this plan that God had for him all the time, huh? Because if he was doing what he said he was, what he was supposed—if he was doing all this before he got the death sentence, God wouldn't have had to tell him, "I'm going to let you do these things for me now." You got me. So these things were on the table to do. He just quit doing them. See, we got a lot of people who leave out of here early because they stop doing what God told them to do. It's not popular. Everybody's preaching this now, and I got to go on to that now, and I got to do that. And they stop doing what God told them to do. They step out of step with God. And with Hezekiah because the, the burden of responsibility for leading God's people was so great. God wants His people to prosper. He wants His people to be blessed. He doesn't want His people under the authority of a backslidden leader. Because the people suffer that way. I mean, who do we think we are? If we stand in the way of God's sheep getting fed and getting blessed and getting a reunion, you know, <laughs> that's an easy, that's an easy decision for anybody to make. Just remove that person and get somebody in there who will do the job. And so when Hezekiah found that God still would give him compassion and still would give him mercy and still would see see his heart of humility, you know, for a man who's a king that's been all in pride and everything to start humbling himself and pleading with God and begging for his life and shedding tears, that's a change of heart for that person. And so God lets him know. He says, I'm going to I'm going to let you live, but I'm going to only add a certain amount. And you've got to prove yourself in that time. There are some things I want you to do. And there are some things God wants everybody to do. We're not just here living to be blessed and to get what we need. And that's all there is to life. There are things that God has mandated that he wants us to participate in. There are people who are waiting for us. To open up so that we can share Christ with them. Their, their, their people, hang, their lives are hanging their eternal fate. is hanging in the balance and waiting for believers to step up to the plate. Amen. And do what God has mandated that we do. Yes. But we got to get out of ourselves in order to make that leap and to make that step. And so Hezekiah found that out. As long as he was into Hezekiah, as long as Hezekiah was into Hezekiah, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He was out of here. But when he stepped back into God, he became God's servant. He says, my servant, the captain of my people. In other words, Hezekiah convinced God. He said, remember when I used to lead the people and I would lead them into worship and all that. he And God said, the captain's back. He said, I think I'll add 15 more years. You can die another day, Hezekiah. You don't have to die today. That's all we got to do, folks, is step in our role. No dance with the Lord. I love that. Just stay connected to him. Keep him as your partner. Let him help you understand what you are, what you're doing here and who you are. We don't have a right identity until God imparts that to us. But boy, when he does, we can step into that office and we can step into that role and we can do wonderful things for God. So why don't we have some music? Y'all go, let's stand up and we're going to pray and get people healed and just let them receive what God has for them. It's going to be glorious. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Somebody lift
1: him. up.
0: Pastor Shirley and I are going to pray for you. So, anybody that Somebody wants said, to be praised so for, come on here. up. And Praise I'm pray, lay hand,
2: who I pray for you. Come and praise the Lord Praise the Lord